I'm Taylor. And I'm Tyler. This is Book of Mormon Central's Come Follow Me Insights. Today, the Book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And we're gonna do things a little differently today. We're, we're gonna give a brief introduction here and then we're gonna spend some time with my wife, Kiplin, walking us through some of her thoughts on Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. But for starters, Taylor, what would you say about this book, or these two books, rather? Most people that I know that really like to read the Old Testament, not a massive group of people, <laughs> but Proverbs is often a very popular book because you have these very engaging, pithy, easy to understand, simple statements that can be applied across multiple contexts, across the generations. What I love is that we can summarize the point and the purpose of the book of Proverbs in, first, in Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. You call that the thesis statement. So there are a lot of chapters, there's more than 30 chapters here, but if you really wanna focus on what are the author or the authors of Proverbs hoping that you would take away, this is it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now let's think about this in a gospel context. Uh, who wants to be a fool? I don't think any of us do, but if we want to be wise, we're somebody who learns to respect or listen to the Lord. Anciently, the word fear was more used more around respect and awe and a willingness to learn from and listen and to pay attention to. So if we retranslate this a bit, we'd hear the attention of the Lord or paying attention to the Lord or listening to the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I think any one of us who taking the time to be here today have already decided we want to hear more from the Lord. So as you read through the book of Proverbs, look for this theme. How are you taught how to better respect and listen to God? Now what's also powerful about this is the instruction. Now the word instruction is related to the word Torah, like the five books of Moses, which contains God's covenants. So a wise person is in covenantal relationship with God and learns about those covenants. So that's in the background as you're reading the book of Proverbs. It's about you become wise by being aligned to God and being in covenantal relationship with him. So I'm very excited to welcome my beautiful wife, Kiplin, to join me for this episode on Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And some of you may be noticing some adjustments in this with the studio. Um, we're filming this particular episode a little bit out of order from the others. That's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they're they're playing around with some paint and some other decorations for the studio for uh, in preparation for the New Testament year. So as we jump into chapter one, uh, you'll notice verse five. It says, "A wise man will hear." and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels." That's an interesting little phrase there, a wise man will hear and increase learning. I, I had an interesting uh, experience um, with my adult children the, a few months ago. We were sitting around the kitchen table, Tyler had taken the younger people out, they were doing something fun, and I can't remember how we got into this conversation, but I ended up saying to my adult children, which was really pretty brave now that I think of it, I said, guys, 
give me some sandpaper. What can, what can I do better? Where, where can I improve? What are, what are the rough spots that, that, uh, that are perhaps chafing to you? Um, you know, just, just talk to me, just give it to me straight. And uh, from that conversation, I can bear testimony <laughs> that a wise man will, woman, man will hear and increase learning. Um, during multiple parts during that conversation, I you know, was ready to jump in and, and, and just kind of give my two cents. And I mean, this is what we do. You know, we uh, talk and talk and talk at our children. And, uh, and I do some of that at my house, a lot of that. <laughs> and, and this conversation, uh, as it carried on, this little voice in my head was just like, don't talk, Kimberly. Don't talk. Don't talk. And as I sat there, not talking, but hearing um, not only the words that were being said, but, but the underlying messages that that I needed to hear I gained I increased in learning um, and I wonder sometimes if that applies not only to our relationships there may be a relationship you're thinking of right now that where where this proverb would benefit uh, that relationship but what about our relationship with God um, how many times do we talk and talk and talk and talk and talk at him and <laughs> Sometimes we're not very good, I'll speak for myself, sometimes I'm not very good at listening and increasing my learning by listening to God. So that was just an interesting little uh, proverb there for me personally. I, I love that and, and it's not just in prayer to listen to him in those quiet pondering moments, but it's also in taking time to let God speak to us out of the scriptures so that we read them as if they really are the words of God for us today. It's very instructive. And, and verse 6 goes on to say, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark saying. It's not just to understand what it's saying, but the interpretation, what it actually translates to in how we talk, with how we live, how we treat each other. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty powerful uh, teaching right here out of the, the beginning verses of this great book. Moving down just a little ways to verse 7, which Taylor just talked about, um, this, this idea of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I, I loved what he said about that word fear. It's, it's the, the covenantal context of our love and our loyalty and our turning our hearts towards God to learn from him, to understand from him. So that's a really interesting concept, Kiplin, because there, there are a lot of, of types of truth that we can seek for. There, you know, if, if I want to learn how to fix a lawnmower or how to paint or how to build something, I'm probably going to go to a video online to, or, or a learner's manual. But when it comes to matters of eternal importance, of things of the soul, things that would help shape my, my spirituality and my, my path uh, moving forward, as a covenant disciple of Christ, now all of a sudden there are a lot of voices out there trying to tell me what is ultimately true and this verse has some, some insights for us. For me, what that essentially means is when you choose to follow the devil or any of his philosophies, you lose light, you lose truth, you lose the ability to see clearly. Um, and when you choose conversely to follow the sun, 
we could say, S-O-N or S-U-N, the Son of God, um, he illuminates, he brings light and truth and wisdom and knowledge to our lives and, and all these things. The truest test for me uh, of a person's possession of truth, real truth, wisdom, God's truth, um, is quite simply, uh, just as this, this verse says, the fear of the Lord, obedience to the Lord, loyalty to the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. The truest test for me is, are they obedient to God? Are they loyal to God? Do they follow God? Do they follow God's prophet? Um, and if I'm receiving information from a source and I'm kind of like, I don't know what to think about this, um, I ask the question, does this person follow God? Are they obedient to God's commandments? Do they keep the commandments? Do they follow the prophet? If the answer is yes, then I'm more confident that what I'm getting is truth. If the answer is no, then that information is suspect because truth does not exist outside of God. God is truth. If this is God's truth here, just this circle, and everything else out here is outside of that truth. This is true, this is true, this is true, this is true. Anything that falls out here might sound good, might be interesting, it might be exciting for us or, or validate some notions we have or thoughts we have on the way things ought to be. But anyone who has chosen to sever themselves or cut themselves off from obedience to God, loyalty to God, to cut themselves off from God, removing themselves, they remove themselves from truth, ultimate, real truth. You know, sometimes we, we only talk about a principle of the gospel or a doctrine from one angle, but you'll notice in scriptures, especially in Proverbs, they're going to give you both sides. They're going to give you the positive side and they're going to give you the negative side, the, the non-examples. So we've, we've seen some of these positive elements of what we're trying to accomplish in seeking truth. Now look at at how it describes those who choose not to embrace truth, not to listen to God, not to walk in, in paths of, of His wisdom and His understanding. Look at chapter 1, verse 28. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Why? For they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. We live in a world where you can see everywhere, where you look around, people who are building up their own sense of reality, living their own life, becoming their own person. And at the end of the day, they're going to eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices, which is so fleeting and so passing compared to what God is offering them freely. Moving on to Proverbs 2, there is a little verse in here that I absolutely love. Um, it talks about uh, paths and ways. Uh, in verse 8, he, talking about, speaking of the Lord, he keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. As I was reading this, uh, an experience I had when I was younger came to my mind. Uh, first, before we get into that, have you ever been hiking on a path?
path or a way that has not been preserved or well kept. And there's roots and brambles and, and uh, rocks to go around and streams to wade through. And, and you're just kind of wondering the whole time if you're going to make it through without a sprained ankle. Um, there's a higher degree of risks uh, at risk as you traverse those kind of paths versus paths that are well kept and well preserved. Back when I was younger, um, the oldest five siblings in my family, I was the third oldest, uh, went backpacking. We went on a backpacking trip. And we hiked up this, this, to this saddle, and we were going to go over and into a beautiful mountain valley. It had a little lake and a stream, and it, it was wonderful. And so we, we packed, and we, we got everything ready, and, and we, uh, we did this long backpack up to the saddle. And we were preparing to go over the saddle and down into the valley. And as we crested the, the rise and looked down, we were faced uh, with a shale slope. And it was just this arc all across where we needed to go down. And um, dotted with snow patches and what have you. And we were like, oh, OK. There was no path. There was no way. Um, and so we, we uh, got everything battened down, and we, we started down the shale slope. And we weren't into it very far <laughs> before we realized this was actually really quite dangerous. Um, we were slipping and sliding, and every footfall would send rocks cascading uh, out from under us. And so my oldest brother, Aiden, uh, he called a halt. And we all just kind of tried not to move and stood where we were while he uh, assessed the situation. And I remember thinking, I, I don't know how he's going to get us out of this one. <laughs> uh, and so I watched him as he took some rope out of the pack. And he looked across the shale slope horizontally. And he set out across that shale slope alone with the rope. He left the other end of the rope with my younger brother, Ben. And, and he said, don't drop this. <laughs> Hang on tight. And he set out across the shale slope. And when he got to a point where he felt like he could anchor himself, he went a little farther down. And he anchored himself. He hunkered down. And so he was here. And then Ben, on the other side, who was up where we were on the mountain, he hunkered down and anchored the rope on his end. And then the three of us girls that were left, uh, we traversed that thin rope from Ben to Aiden <laughs> very carefully and without, with quite a few slips and scrabbles. Once we were safely to Aiden, then Ben scrambled down and then hunkered down again. And they pulled that rope taut. And we made our way one by one across that rope to Ben. And this is how we went down that shale slope. I'm going to draw it up here. Um, now, Aiden, uh, my older brother, something else I wanted to tell you about him on this particular backpacking trip was before we even left on the backpacking trip, we were down in the basement, we had our packs, and he was like, bring me your pack. And I brought my pack, and this, I knew, I knew what was coming. He picked it up, he waited, he put it on the scale, he's like, it's too heavy. And he started taking stuff out. And I remember him taking stuff out of my pack and putting it in his own pack. And he wanted to make sure that the weight that I was carrying on this backpacking trip was going to be doable for me. He made sure that my pack was, was the right weight for me 
to be able to make this journey. So anyway, that'll come in later. As we got down the mountain, we finally came to some nice grassy slopes and places where we could um, make our way on our own and it, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, but I have often thought about that trip, not just for the fun that it was and all the adventures we had together, but it came to mind in relation to this scripture. He keepeth the paths and preserveth the way of his saints. On our mortal journey here, the Savior is the keeper of our paths and he preserveth our way. And just like my brothers anchored themselves to that mountain so we could make it safely across, um, you know, on our shale slopes of life, <laughs> there, is, there are anchor points. The Savior is on that slope with us. We're not by ourselves by any means. And he is anchoring, he is anchoring us. Whatever our shale slope is at this time uh, in your life, you may have just come through a shale slide. You may be in the middle of one. There may be one to come. But the Savior is with us and he anchors us as we make our way down to uh, safety and, and safer grounds. And if we will hold on, um, if I would have let go of that rope in some of those places on that, that rocky, treacherous uh, slope, I would have been a goner. <laughs> I would have gotten down the mountain. <laughs> um, but hanging on, holding on, sometimes was all I could do. Just sliding across <laughs> to, the, to the next anchor point. And if we will hold on to the Savior and the help that he offers, those ropes, they can come in the forms of of family members, friends, teachers, uh, prophets and apostles, his church, um, the temple, the scriptures, many, many different things. Um, if we will hold on to the rope that he offers and if we go towards him, uh, we'll make it safely down. Um, another thing I just wanted to mention was um, my job <laughs> in this whole adventure was not to fix the problem. It wasn't to make the shale go away. It wasn't to be the anchor. It wasn't to produce the rope. That wasn't my job. My job was simply to hang on and keep moving towards the next anchor point, in, in our case, the Savior. Um, that's my job. And another beautiful thing about this story that I, I love to think about is part of the Savior preserving our way um, happens even before we get here. I can imagine us up in heaven having this little sit down and he's like, bring me your pack. And he puts it on the scale and he's like, we're taking this out and we're taking um, The Savior won't let us carry that which we cannot safely carry through mortality. We have that promise. And that's beautiful to me that he takes upon himself our burdens. The scriptures talk about how the Savior bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. That's exactly what he does for us um, through his, his atonement. Jesus preserveth our way uh, ultimately and most intensely and personally through the atonement, through his atonement. Um, when he took those burdens on himself and opened the way, prepared the way, preserved the way for us to make it safely home. So I, I love that. I, I love this story, Kiplin, that, that you and Tamara and Ellie, the, the three sisters, how you kept going back and forth. Uh, if you look at verse seven and verse nine, I mean, we already read verse eight. Verse seven, he layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. 
That's our job. Just, just walk that covenant path. Hold to the rod, in this case a rope. Verse 9, then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. He marks the path and it's simply your job, as you said, to hold on to that, that symbolic rod of iron and get to the next and then he'll mark the next safe One passage. One step enough for every me. Path, every good path. Yeah. Beautiful. And I guess we could define the good path as the covenant path. Covenant path. That's what came to mind. Which sometimes is very steep going down yeah. and sometimes it's steep going up yeah. in this journey of life. So now let's turn to chapter 3, which is probably the most famous of all of the 31 chapters in Proverbs uh, because of verse 5 and 6. And quite frankly, it, this if, if you don't have a favorite scripture, this could be a candidate for a short list to consider. It's that good. I would say this is a thesis statement for all of Proverbs. Um, and could we say for all of scripture and maybe even extend it to our journey here in mortality. Uh, it's, truly, it's that fundamental. Truly a wise statement among all wise, wise statements. In verse 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Notice that's 100% of your heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So there we, there we come to paths again, tied back into chapter 2, verse 8. And I feel like verse 7 uh, goes right along with that. Um, it says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. Again, respect him, obey him, trust him, and depart from evil. I have a story share. <laughs> uh, this is a personal experience that is not very flattering to myself, but I, I have a child that was struggling with some behaviors, and I, being the good parent that I am, was like, you know, I love this child, so I'm going to help this child. Um, and so I, I prepared my lecture, and I went in, and um, I sat down and I, I talked to them and we talked about this earlier, I talked and talked and talked, probably at them would be better than to them. Um, and I, I laid it down, I let them have it, I, I told them, you know, this is what's going to happen if you keep doing this and here are the consequences and this is why it's not good um, and we need to change this. And in the back of my mind, there was that, that little voice that the Lord so often sends that was just like, don't, just don't talk anymore. Just stop talking. But I was, you know, I had prepared and I was in the middle of my, you know, like every good gospel doctrine teacher, I had prepared my lesson and what did I do? I plowed through to the end because we must get through the lesson. So I did. I got through the lesson and uh, I did not reach my child very well. I got through my lesson. Um, I didn't get through to the child. So, uh, as you can imagine, nothing changed. And a few weeks later, we had um, more situations that had built up again. And I was like, okay, I just, I just need to do better with this. And I prepared a bigger and better lecture. And I went in there and I was going to get through to my child this time. Um, but I, I didn't get through that time either. Again, I, I got through 
my lecture, but I did not get through to the child. Um, and so after several more, I'm ashamed to say, uh, pretty spectacular failures, um, I did what I should have done all along. I turned heavenward. And I said, I, I don't got this. <laughs> I can't do this. Um, I've tried. I've tried my arm of flesh. I've tried my own understanding. I've tried uh, wise in my own eyes. I mean, I have experience as a parent that should be working. Um, none of those things were working. And, and so I, I turned to the Lord and I said, I need help. I need, I need your help. <laughs> and it was very interesting because the Lord's understanding that, that started to trickle in was almost 180 degrees opposite of what I was trying to shove, you know, push my child into. And it was, it was different. And I, I, it was a humbling process to realize that my wisdom, my understanding um, was nowhere near uh, adequate uh, to, to addressing the situation. And as I started listening to he who is omniscient and omnipotent, he sees all, he knows all, he knows my child, he knows me, he knows what he's working with here and it's not perfect, but as I started to listen um, to his understanding and trust in the Lord and lean not to my own understanding and to not be wise in my own eyes, um, things started to change. I had another discussion with my child um, that was a very different discussion. It was a beautiful experience. It was a three-way discussion between the child and myself with the Lord involved. And, and there have been many more discussions since. Um, and there has been tangible growth and progress and change. As I was going through this experience that lasted, you know, months, um, it occurred to me, how many times, Kiplin, do you approach your own problems this way? Do you try to fix your own problems this way? How many times do you just roll up your sleeves? You're like, I, I, I've got all these resources. I can do this. You're like, must try harder. And you buckle down and only to come up with failure after failure after failure and, and scratch your head and wonder what's wrong with you and what am I doing wrong? And how many times... Um, do I just prepare bigger and better lectures for myself? And okay, I'm gonna get it this time. I'm gonna get it, I can do this, I got this. Um, without first turning to the Lord and saying, I don't have this, I already know that. Going into it, I'm gonna give it my best shot. I am gonna roll up my sleeves and I am gonna try hard, but I don't have this on my own. I need your help. Um, that makes all the difference. And so I have a testimony of this particular scripture um, not just from this experience, but from countless experiences in my life and in our life um, combined. In our marriage, yeah. yeah. You know, that story, that experience in the scripture, it reminds me of, of a powerful training that we received this last school year um, that involves four layers of how we interact with each other and, and what you said there at the end how we interact with ourselves. That's really powerful. At the top of this pyramid, you're, fi you're trying to fix people, or you're trying to fix yourself, you're trying to fix something. And sometimes you jump in at that level thinking you've got it all figured out and it doesn't quite work. So then, in this model, 
you come down to the next level, which is take some time to teach why you're doing things or, or how it should work, and then go back to trying to fix it. And if it still doesn't work, then you have to go down another level where you start to ask and observe and listen, where you gather more information from the, from the person, from the individual. And then you try to teach some more and then fix it. And if it still doesn't work, then you go down to this bottom layer, the foundational layer, which is build the relationship, build that connection. And often in our, in, in our families, in our wards, in our stakes, and in our, with colleagues even at, at work at times, we spend so much time trying to fix each other, but we don't really spend as much time asking and listening or building the relationship. And I think this ties in clearly in our, our connections with heaven as well, as you've been describing, that we need to spend a proportional amount of time to this huge volume of the bottom part of this triangle, spending more time building the relationship with the Lord before we try to fix ourselves. Let, let Him help us with that as we work our way up this triangle. Yeah, I would say in the model that you were talking about, it kind of went this way, uh -huh. uh, you know, maybe out there in a work setting or whatever, but, but how amazing would it be if we always approached things in this direction, you know, with this relationship being with God first and foremost, um, you know, yeah. build that relationship, then ask him, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? Then teach that to yourself, to your family. And then, and then this kind of starts to happen as we, as we do that. Yeah, it's, really and cool. it's, it's a beautiful pattern for, for marriage relationships, for parenting relationships. And, and friendships. Yeah, we've, we've actually learned in our marriage, quick tip, don't do this. <laughs> you know, I mean, th there is some of that that needs to go on, but, but when we, when we kind of get mired in this little teeny tip here, it, it just never goes well. <laughs> and, and you'll... But when we, when we spend time here and here, um, and then, then, things, then things tend to work out very well. Uh, and you'll notice in chapter three, verse 12, it says, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. If, if you're feeling like the Lord is, is correcting you, fixing you, working on you, that's a good sign. That means he loves you. So it's a, it's a pretty powerful reminder if you're feeling rebuked from heaven that the Lord loves you and you're worth you're worth building that relationship and you're worth fixing. I want to add something to what you just said um, about the Lord correcting. And I've found personally in my own life, and, and this is what I've talked to the kids about, because um, they'll often come to me and say, oh, I'm having these, these thoughts and feelings and I don't know if it's from God or if it's from me. And, and they're things like, oh, you're never going to get this. You're doing bad at this. It's it's just never going to be good enough. You've got to, you know, you've got to do way better than you are. You, you're not going to get this. You're, you're behind. You're, you're failing, basically. And, and sometimes that's hard to distinguish between 
when those feelings are coming in and when these feelings of correction from the Lord are coming in. And so the way that I have figured out for me, and it might be different for, for everyone, to distinguish between those things is, is the correction or, or the rebuke even, or, the, or those thoughts, are they accompanied by feelings of hopelessness and despair and depression and, and just like Gloom. darkness? Or are those feelings accompanied by a feeling of, uh, those thoughts accompanied by a feeling of determination and hope? I might be feeling kind of bad still, like oh, I messed up, but we can do this. We, we, the capital W, the Lord and I, we can do this. He's going to help me. And this feeling of kind of this uplift, this determination, this hope, like there's hope to get this right. There's hope to, to do better. Um, and so a lot of times it's, it's a difference in, in, the, in the feeling that accompanies the thoughts. If, if the thought comes, Kipling, you need to do better at this. And then the rest of it's like, you're no good. You're a failure. You're never going to get this. You've tried over and over again. You've failed how many times? It's just, it's bad. You're bad. Um, I can immediately know that that's from the devil. And I'm going to slam that door. And I'm not going to give that voice any heed anymore. But if I hear, you know, you need to do better. And I love you. And we can do this. And I need you to do some hard work. But, but we're going to get this. And it's going to be awesome. And those kind of uplifting feelings... Um, I, I know that that comes from God and he's helping me to change and become better than who I am, to become more like him. And so that chastisement, it is because he loves us and it's in his effort to, to move us forward on the path. And isn't it amazing how if, if we sit back and wait for these things to happen to us, God will reach out and he'll, he'll work this process with us. But what a difference if we actually use our agency, our free will, and we go to him meekly, humbly, with a petition instead of sitting back waiting to be acted upon. But we act and say, look at chapter 4, verse 1, hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. What if we actually asked him, give me please, more understanding, teach me. And if, if there's fixing, if there's chastening, if there's rebuking, if there's some polishing that needs to happen, please, let's do that and, and help me not to, to be frustrated with you through that process. Help me to, to, to endure it well. Uh, verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. It's that idea of seek it, go go try to find it. Yeah, it's pretty powerful there in chapter four. And in That's fact, it leads us into verse seven, which is one of the most famous of all the proverbs as well. Wisdom is the principal thing; therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. It's a pretty profound statement. It's not just learning a whole bunch of trivia, a whole bunch of facts and figures and dates and names and places and becoming really smart in, in cognitive capacities. It's get understanding. Know how all of this translates into, into becoming a, a better person, a, a greater follower of Christ, ultimately a, a more refined child of God as we, as we seek to move forward in his wisdom. 
Yeah, I, I think that wisdom and knowledge are all well and fine and they're good to get and we're supposed to get them, but they mean very little without the understanding that comes from the Holy Ghost to interpret that knowledge and wisdom, like you've said. Um, the Spirit and the Lord are basically what illuminates that wisdom and knowledge for us and, and, and turns it into something we can use for good. So now we come to Proverbs 4, 18 and 19, which has this beautiful imagery of light and darkness kind of contrasted together. Um, and I was thinking as I read this about a little experience I had uh, when we were camping up in the Uintas. We had been down onto a lake for a late night canoe, uh, several of us, and we were coming back up to our campsite. And by the time we were headed back up, it was completely black, pitch black. Um, you could not see anything. And the moon was kind of behind some trees, and so it was, it was utterly dark. And the, we weren't, the trail wasn't well kept in this case. It was kind of, you know, you meandered your way through uh, the roots and the brambles back up to the, the road. And a few of us had flashlights. Not all of us. I was not one with a flashlight. And so those with the flashlights, they illuminated the path or the way we were going to go, and we followed very closely one behind the other to make it back up safely to the road. And I just was thinking about the, the complete uh, difference that having light made. Um, I don't think I would have made it back up to the road without hurting myself if, if I had not had light to follow. And at one point in that journey, uh, I noticed that my cute little daughter in front of me, Kinley, she had this little flashlight and she was just very, without any, you know, ceremony, she was, she was just shining it behind her. <laughs> and so I was like, wow, this is really light. I can see really well. And then I realized she had her flashlight trained behind her and she was following the light of the person in front of her so that I could see more clearly and so that I wouldn't stumble and that touched my heart. But, um, this idea between light and dark was very clear to me that night and this idea that we who have lights need to use them to illuminate the path for maybe those who don't um, and we can help others um, so they don't stumble and they don't hurt themselves on this uh, you know metaphorically speaking um, on this journey through life yeah this ties in beautifully to the savior's sermon on the mount and sermon of the temple where he says ye are the light of the world, or in the Book of Mormon account, I give unto you to be the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ties, in, ties into this concept, which means you and I have the option to open our eyes and turn and face the light and accept the light and get closer and closer to the light. Well, the more we're walking in the light, the more we, more clearly we can see what we've been stumbling at in the past, the more capable we are of repenting. Hence this invitation from President Nelson to repent every day and have it be a joyful thing. Have it not be this negative, oh, I'm so bad, I'm never going to get this, but a, this is an adventure. The covenant path is, is the most glorious adventure that you could be on to say, it's okay, I keep struggling, I keep stumbling, I keep messing up. But the closer I keep coming to the Lord, the more I can see those things that in the past, I, I didn't even know what I was stumbling at when I was walking in the dark. I'm tripping over things and I don't know whether it was a root or a rock or, a, or an animal in the path. I just know I'm stumbling and I'm not, not, I'm not walking uh, very easily. 
And so it's this long process, this long journey of line upon line of teach me to walk in the light of his love as we move forward. So for the sake of time, as we skip over a couple of these chapters, uh, let, let's turn over to chapter 12, verse 18, where it says, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Another contrast here. Yes, um, lots of contrasts. I, I had some interesting thoughts while I was reading that particular verse. Um, we hear a lot about how words can hurt and how uh, words can harm, but what I thought of in this particular um, verse was how words can heal. They can, they can bind up wounds. They can bring safety and healing to a marriage, to a, a relationship with a child, a relationship with an extended family member, a relationship with a neighbor, a co-worker. There's, there's so many situations we're in and our words are, our words have power. They have power, like, like it says, to pierce like a sword, but they also have this beautiful ability um, to heal. And so um, Tyler's really good at healing words in our marriage, and I'm working on it. Um, but listen to some of these words that one might hear in a relationship. I love you. I'm sorry. It's going to be okay. Please forgive me. I can't fix this but I want to make sure you don't go through it alone. Things will work out. Those are some things that, that I have heard. Um, there's another, another uh, healing word that I'm gonna share a story about. We were on our way to uh, an area-wide dinner for seminary and institute teachers, and it had been a rough day for me. Uh, we were living a long ways away, probably about an hour away, through a canyon. Um, I had a bunch of little people, and it had just been, it had been a rough day, and I was a bit frazzled. Um, Tyler came home from work, and we're like, hurry, hurry, we got to get everything ready, and, and, and then we got the babysitter there, and we gave the instructions, and, and then we had a baby that wasn't young enough, or that was too young to leave with the babysitter, so we bundled that baby up, and they were probably screaming too, <laughs> and we loaded into our little car that we weren't sure if it was going to make it through the canyon or not, and off we went, and, and I remember arriving at that dinner completely frazzled and I remember walking in and everyone was so happy to see each other they were visiting and talking and and it was just wonderful for them and I was sitting there in my chair just trying not to cry you know just just don't cry don't cry don't make a scene just it's okay it's okay rocking the baby with my foot in the car seat and as I sat there some good friends of ours uh, Stephen and Michelle Hunsaker came came by our table and they took the time to stop and talked to us um, and just asked us, you know, it wasn't anything fancy. It was just, how are you doing? How are the kids? And, and, and all this, this nice stuff. And, and so we had this little conversation and then they, they headed towards uh, the table where they'd be sitting. And I remember this moment clearly, just as they were leaving, Brother Hunsaker turned back around and he kind of leaned down and he looked me in the eye and he said, you're doing better than you think you are. And those words were healing to my soul. In that moment, the Spirit gave him words of healing to give to me, and it's what I needed. The Lord communicated to me that, Kiplin, I know it's not perfect, 
I know you're not perfect. I know it hasn't been easy, but it's enough. What you are doing is good. You are going to be okay. Trust me, hold on, and I will make things okay if you will trust me. So words can heal. You're doing better than you think you are. Those are healing words for me. You know, that's just one example of many that we could talk about. Another one that, that came instantly to mind as you were sharing that story is the, the Sunday when we happened to uh, arrive at sacrament meeting a little late and a little frazzled when we were living up in Providence with seven small children uh, and it had been a rough morning and a fussy baby and you're out in the foyer for part of that meeting and it happened to be a fast and testimony meeting and our good friend Al Dustin, he got up and bore his testimony and and do you remember what he said there as part of, part of his testimony? I'm going to paraphrase this uh, probably badly, but he said um, that mother who was out in the foyer with the fussy baby during sacrament meeting or during sacrament when she so desperately needs the sacrament herself and that time to, to reflect and be still, the Lord sees those sacrifices. He honors those those sacrifices that we make and the blessings will be no less as we're pacing the hall and maybe even missing the bread because because we were in the bathroom with the baby um, those sacrifices will be honored by the Lord so again healing words words of health to to our souls the tongue of the um, wise is health and they can be fun sometimes too I remember that same that same word we were sitting there with all the all the little hooligans on the bench and <laughs> And it had been a bad one. I mean, you know, so, some of them just go better than others. And, you know, so I was packing things up and putting them back in the bag, sweating. And, and I turned around to apologize to, to the moons, Todd and Barbara Moon and their crew behind us. And I was like, I'm sorry, you, you, <laughs> you got to see the circus today. You know, I thought you were coming to sacrament meeting. And I remember both of them just smiling and looking at us. And I remember these words they said to us, you know, I remember when sacrament meeting used to be fun. <laughs> and that just put everything into perspective. Those were words of healing to my soul and health. And I thought, you know what? This is fun. I, I don't know how I'd feel about sitting all by myself without all the, this fun going on, which is how we kind of came to view it after that was, this is fun. This is really fun and we're gonna miss this someday. <laughs> so anyway, uh, words of health and healing, beautiful. Um, one other thing, we can't, we can't leave before we talk this, this section, before we talk about, as long as we're talking about words, uh, before we talk about the word. Um, John, in the mm. beginning of his book, talks about, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. These words of healing and health and beauty are words of Christ. Um, I want you to listen just for a minute to some of these healing words from the Word Himself. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be thou strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Fear not, little children, for ye are mine. I have overcome the world. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Be not afraid, only believe. 
I will fulfill my promises which I have made unto the children of men. Peace be still. Behold, my bowels are filled with compassion towards you. Beautiful healing words of health and love and beauty from Jesus Christ himself, the Word. Okay, let's jump over now to chapter 15. Okay, I, I have to share another little experience. Uh, I remember as a young child first coming in, in contact with this scripture that we're going to talk about. Um, in my living room, it was, a you know, some memories are just crystal clear in your mind. It was a yellow shag rug, um, and I remember sitting on that rug in Edmonton in my and with my family for family home evening and we were all sitting in a circle there and mom was kneeling on the floor and she had the candy jar. Now, I don't know if you have a candy jar in your house but we had a candy jar and this candy jar had all the leftover treats from Easter and Christmas and I don't know what all else and they were all kind of just dumped in there was a candy jar. It was exciting, the candy jar and she said, okay, we're gonna read a scripture today and I want you to go memorize it this week. And when you come back, and she held up the candy jar, when you come back, um, those of you that have memorized it will get a, a treat. And so this is the scripture that I remember oh. hearing and really cognating for the first time uh, in that family circle. Proverbs 15:1: a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Uh, boy, I... I worked hard. I don't know how old I was, but it was a mouthful for me at that age. I worked hard and I memorized that thing. And when we gathered again on the yellow shag rug for family home evening, I proudly stood up and said, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And I got, I think I got some little candy coated peanuts for my efforts. Mm. And uh, so we can say in our family we literally worked for peanuts uh, <laughs> I've gotten my kids to do amazing things for a single solitary Skittle or M&M but anyway um, so those those are my first memories with with this beautiful concept and I'm so grateful that my mother took the time to pass on this wisdom you know in this spirit of passing on our knowledge um, to others these proverbs that she took the time to pass, pass on not only that, but to help us get it into our minds and hearts. That scripture has come to my mind countless times since then. It has helped me in marriage. It's helped me uh, with the children. It's helped me in, in many, many situations. Um, it is truth, pure truth. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Another thing I wanted to mention about my mom is she is pretty much... Uh, the embodiment of the scripture to me. I have um, seen so many times when her soft, gentle um, answer and words have turned away wrath or turned away uh, condemnation or turned away um, anxiety and stress and frustration. Um, those healing words that we were talking about, she's really good at those. And I know it wasn't always easy for her, but she had worked on on bringing the truth of this scripture into her life and into my life and it has blessed blessed our family over and over again. You know this this entire chapter 15 is loaded with proverb after proverb after proverb 
that connect with this idea. For, for instance, you look at verse 13, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. Uh, go down to verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is, just herbs, just salad, no, no, no meat and potatoes in this meal. Better is that meal where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. You've got an ox which in their day is the biggest uh, source of meat that they could conceive of and he's stalled, he's ready to be processed so you can have a nice barbecue right there and they're saying, oh, it's better to have this, this salad with love than the, the big T-bone steak where hatred is. Uh, and it, it's fun, it, isn't it? The, the different ways they say the same things is just kind of fun. Yeah, teaching, I like that. teaching these truths through a variety of symbols yeah. and, and wise sayings. In, in fact, you're noticing these are all pro-verbs. They're not amateur, they're not beginner verbs, they're pro-verbs. They're, they're, <laughs> these, these are profound. It's a word to the wise. Wise people are going to, to read this and really try to internalize these statements, these principles, these, these truths, and put them into practice, which is where we're going to gain that understanding. Now, if we go over to chapter 16, uh, go to verse 18. Here it says, Pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. The, the phrase that many people are familiar with is pride goeth before the fall, coming from this verse here, which is so true. If we get so caught up, what pride is, is this self-congratulatory, look how big, look how smart, look how important, look how intelligent, look how fill-in-the-blank I am, and what you're doing is you're no longer looking to the light, you're looking to yourself, and so you're going to stumble and fall. And sometimes, like we've said before, you don't even know what you're falling and stumbling at because you're so self-engrossed in, in, in what you know and or defending yourself. The, the opposite here of, of the pride that came to my mind is, <clears throat> of course, humility, but in the context of everything we've been studying in Proverbs, the theme that keeps coming up is trust. Mm -hmm. It takes an immense amount of humility to, to just trust the Lord, to put things into His hands instead of saying, no, I know, I'm wise in my own eyes, I, I have understanding that maybe, you know, you don't have, you know, we sometimes say that to Him, so I'm going to do it my own way. Uh, the pride comes in and we stumble and fall. But trusting in the Lord is the antidote to that, to that pride, trusting in Him, really trusting, and leaning not to this understanding that we, we think we have. Which, are you noticing how easy it is for us to, to sit here and talk about this and, and to, to uh, discuss this in a way that, as if we've got it figured out, the, the reality is, is that there's a, there's a reality check in verse 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. You're more mighty and you're better if you can win the battle 
inside, that battle against pride, that battle against selfishness. That we all, we all That everybody that faces. All of us do. Compared to the person who can take over a city. That's a very wise proverb, verse 32. And can we just point out that you don't win these battles alone? That goes back to being wise in your own eyes and your own understanding and stuff. We're not supposed to do this alone. We don't have to look at these things and be like, I got to do this and I got to do this and I need to do this. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was never intended to be a solo mission. It, it's, it's always together, together with God. So. Yeah. And now you jump into 17 along that path of, of correcting and winning that battle inside with the help of the Lord. Look at verse 10. A reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. You can try to force somebody to do something and, and a fool isn't going to make the adjustments. Oh, you might get them to do what you want them to do but it won't change their character. It won't, it won't help them grow to become who they need to become. But a wise person will take the reproof from the Lord or from loved ones and actually be influenceable in a way to break down those walls of pride and to make those improvements and to seek the Lord's help to, to humbly, meekly adjust what they say, how they say it, how they act, how they treat people and become more and more refined over time through this process. This kind of goes back to that idea of light and dark, mm -hmm. the pride being darkness, and the more, the more you listen to those wise counsels from the Lord and the Spirit and, and improve and, and, and work, it, it, the more light you get, the more teachable you become, the more, it just expands and grows and becomes beautiful, whereas the more you, you entrench in pride and your own way and your own path, the, the darker it becomes and, the, and, and it just shrinks in. The less you can do, the less you can see, the less you can feel. And unfortunately, the more you feel justified yeah. in your own, in your own uh, pride because you can't see clearly what other people can see and more importantly, what the Lord can see in you as he's trying to shape you. In Proverbs 21, there is a beautiful little verse here that I wanted to touch on. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. I love that little phrase, the Lord pondereth the hearts. How many times do we look at situations or people, the first half of that phrase, um, every wave man is right in his own eyes. How often do we, do we see situations and people and we make judgments um, and how often do we come to find out just how wrong those initial judgments were? I, I want to share something that, some advice that my younger brother Spencer gave to me. It was in the middle of one of our moves um, and we were just having a conversation and I remember he said this regarding people and I'm going to paraphrase. Um, he said basically when I meet someone who initially I don't like all that well, it's usually because I haven't gotten to know them well enough yet. And I've thought about that time and time again that when I, when I initially judge someone, when I see someone and I make a judgment um, that's negative, 
it's probably because I just don't know them well enough. I, I don't see what God sees. I don't, I don't know their struggles. I don't know their, their life, their history. I don't know what they've been through, where they're going. I don't understand their heart the way God does. And the more I get to know that, the more I ponder their heart, the more I can see and love as God sees and loves. And the Lord sees a lot more than we do. He's omniscient. He sees all. He sees our desires. He sees our longings. He sees our struggles and our weaknesses and our tendencies. He sees the gifts that we've been given. He sees the potential in us. He sees things about us that we don't even see um, about ourselves. And he guides our life. He gives us revelation. He gives us experiences based on his ponderings of our, heart. our hearts. And that, to me, gives me so much comfort um, knowing that the Lord is pondering my heart and he is shaping me and molding me based on what he sees in my heart. I don't see my heart clearly. I try. I look. Um, but I don't see it as clearly as he does. And it all comes back to that trust. I can safely trust in the Lord. I can place my heart in his hands. Those hands that were pierced and bled for me, I can place my heart in those hands and he will hold it safely. And he will, he will create experiences for me that help me based on what my heart needs to grow and to heal and to, to become uh, beautiful. Which is a beautiful segue for us into another of the most famous of, of all the Proverbs found in chapter 22, verse 6. Everybody's heard this. Uh, let's, let's take some time to, to explore some of these words more, more deeply. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's a lot contained in that verse. Yes, there's, there's kind of, in my mind, two, two sections to that verse. There's mm -hmm. the train up the child in the way he should go. This is kind of what we should do. And then there's the section, here's the result. Okay, let's just take the first section and then we'll get to the second one. Um, the word train is kind of a fun word because it means, it can mean a lot of different things. It can, if you are training someone at a job, uh, it kind of means teach. Mm -hmm. Maybe let's write some of these up. Um, you know, you, you teach someone something. So teach, maybe we could say. Another meaning of the word train is, say, with like a, an athlete, a musician, an artist. A, the, I mean, the, the list is endless. But where you are preparing someone in some specific skill to meet a challenge of some kind. Um, and so prepare could be another word for train. Um, another one is, is if you train a plant, you're taking... Uh, vines or, or pieces of that plant and maybe training it around a lattice to get it to grow in the direction you want. So maybe shape or um, guide might be a good word there. Another uh, thing we do or uh, a meaning of the word train is if I train my eye on something, um, if there's a target and I'm, I'm shooting a bow and arrow at the target, I train my eye on the center of the target. Um, so that could be maybe focusing our efforts on the right in the right direction. Um, so anyway, all of these words can apply to to training up a child. Now let's talk about child for a minute. Uh, this scripture for me applies to all of us, not just parents with young children, but 
parents with grown children. All of us at some point are going to be in positions where we teach children of God, whether they be little ones in our own home or whether they be other people's children in, in uh, church settings or neighbors or whether it be the big grown-up children of God that we're interacting with all the time, um, we'll all be interacting with, with children. Um, and just like our heavenly parents who are constantly doing these things with us, we have the opportunity and responsibility to, to join in this effort of, of teaching and preparing and shaping and guiding and focusing um, those around us, children, in the right direction. Let's talk about the second part uh, of this little couplet, which is, um, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Um, if we treat this couplet like a vending machine, then we might be tempted to say, well, I, I did this stuff to the best of my ability. It's not perfect, and, and that's okay. But I, I did this stuff, and it didn't work out for me. And then we might find ourselves um, wondering what's wrong with us or wondering what's wrong with God. Can we just acknowledge that right up front, many children um, find themselves on paths that are divergent from what we have taught them. Here I take great comfort in the word old in this scripture. When they are old, I think the Lord's definition of old is probably a lot more eternal than mine or ours in our mortal earthly perspective. Maybe our job as parents, as teachers and preparers and shapers and guiders of children of God, maybe our job is to give the Lord something to work with and to remember that he's working with his children. These are his children first before they were ours and he is continually working with them. He's not gonna stop. Um, let me kind of explain what I mean by, by our job being to give him a base or a foundation from which to do his work and glory. Um, we were eating dinner around our table, a large kitchen table, um, several months ago. And my uh, younger son, Brennan, he's about 10 years old, um, and he likes to tease and have fun. And he was heckling uh, our older, his older cousin, Daniel, who, who lives with us. He's a student and um, college age. Anyway, he was heckling him and, and bugging him, and, and it was pretty fun. Um, and so as a warning, Daniel launched into a cautionary tale. Um, and he told Brennan about how one time he had been over at his um, friends, their a family friend's house, and they were eating pie and ice cream. Now it's important to note that the tie here is the ice cream. We were having ice cream at our table. And so hence the cautionary tale about ice cream and pie. He was over at this family friend's house eating his pie and ice cream and he got up to leave uh, to do something. And when he came back, this, this friend who was the dad of the family was just inhaling his pie and ice cream, Daniel's pie and ice cream, uh, probably with vast amounts of encouragement from Aiden, my <laughs> brother and Daniel's father. Uh, anyway, he was, he was just inhaling the ice cream. And so Daniel being a small tyke at the time uh, he fought valiantly to, to regain control of his ice cream, 
uh, and to no avail. He was much smaller, he was outmanned for sure. And so he did the only reasonable thing for a child of his age to do, which is he grabbed a handful of the ice cream off the plate and he stuffed it down Brother New's shirt. And so he's telling Brennan this story and Brennan's eyes are getting big and he's grinning from ear to ear and this is great fun until Tyler <laughs> walked up to the table and said, hey, I'd like to see how that works in, in, in action here. And he started advancing on Brennan. Well, Brennan, he jumped up on the table with his bowl of ice cream and he started scampering around as Tyler closed in from one side and Daniel from the other. And I was sitting here watching all the fun. And we're gonna have to pause here for just a minute uh, to establish something before we continue the story for it to make sense. Um, long ago in the Griffin household, there was an irrevocable law that was laid down, and I'm not sure, I don't, I don't know, know how, how this came to be, but, but uh, to, in an effort to aid and abet and make good and positive and happy all of the, the shenanigans and fun that went on in the house, um, the, we had a rule in the house, and the rule was quite simply this. Mommy is the safe place. And so um, the children, you know, that was just kind of, something I think the kids came up with it actually after multiple rounds of tag and teasing and they would come screaming up to me and wrap their little arms around my like mommy's a safe place mommy's a safe place you can't get me while I'm with mommy and so it kind of evolved into anytime they were involved in games and teasing and fun um, if they just had enough or if they needed a break they would come running and mommy is my safe place and that's kind of the the, the words they would say and so in this particular situation uh, as, as Brennan was frantically, his eyes were darting around, his feet were shuffling, he was trying to find a, an escape on the table, and he kind of scampered towards my end of the table, and I, you know, got into the spirit of things, and so I flung my arms wide, and I said, safe place, safe place, safe place, yelling over the din that was going on, and that little kid, he catapulted himself off the table and made a good landing right on my lap, and, and there he was, um, and, and, and he was saved from certain ice cream smearing at the time but the reason I tell that story is maybe our job as parents isn't to produce perfect results maybe it's not a vending machine where you do these things and and this happens on the back end maybe our job is to be that safe place it's to teach and prepare and to shape and guide but at the end of the day um, in the words of this scripture it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Those words, in the way he should go, remind me of the scripture in 2 Nephi, where he says, we, we teach of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we, we preach of Christ. But, but the crux of that scripture is that our children may know to what source they should look for the remission of their sins. Um, maybe that's our job as parents, is to is to show our children where they can go um, when they do get into deep water, when they, when they stray outside of, of the, the, the safety that we've laid out for them, when they, when they find themselves on strange paths, that they know that mommy is my safe place, daddy is my safe place, and those arms will always be flung wide. And then, of course, Jesus is the ultimate safe place. And eventually, our children in seeing 
a type of Christ in our love and extended arms to them, eventually they will be able to see his arms outstretched and his love for them and his safety. Um, and that's the hope. Um, train up a child in the way he should go. We do our best. We try. And sometimes our best isn't very good. But Jesus, his best is more than enough. It's powerful. It's, it's hope-filled that you don't have to take ownership for other people's agency regardless of what you've taught them. It, it gives us yet another opportunity to trust in the Lord, that he loves them and he will continue to work with them and not take away agency and experiences will be given that hopefully they will find their way back and that unfortunately we live in a world that encourages many family members, parents, siblings, children, when a family member struggling to then commiserate with that family member and let go of the, the iron rod, let go of the, the fruit of the tree of life and go and commiserate with them, you don't do them any favors when you walk away from a firm foundation of faith if they're struggling. You're not going to help them by now struggling yourself. You can help them by continuing to love them in ways that they can recognize that, but to stay firmly rooted in Christ and in his gospel and in, in all of the wisdom that he has to offer us as we move forward. Answers will come. They may not come when and how we want them, but they will come. You know, I've heard my dad uh, teach this, this over and over again since, um, since I've been a parent myself. He has often said to me, um, love is, is the single greatest force and power. Um, it's the greatest motivator. If our children know we love them, the imperfections, the struggles, the failures, the, the weakness that we all face as parents, if they know that we love them, that, that is the healing balm, the, the, the salve that makes everything work. It makes it okay. And um, as, we, as we try to offer that love to our children, I think that, that our struggles as parents will melt into that love, that, that beautiful power, that, uh, that love that they feel coming from us and not just from us, through us, from the Savior to them. I think that's a good point, is we're not the ones generating that love usually. We're simply reflecting it. We're filling a portion of how God feels about that individual and it flows through us and consequently it, it leaves us changed. It leaves us with a, a more heavenly perspective of, of those people that we're interacting with. And perhaps, perhaps that same principle applies with that person staring at you in the mirror every day as well. Uh, to be able to feel a little more of God's pure love for you and to overcome those struggles that we faced to say somehow, because of his infinite atonement, it's going to be okay. Things are going to work out. He's not forsaken us, and he's not given up on us. So don't give up on that person in the mirror, and don't give up on your loved ones, regardless of how far gone you may feel like you or they have, have 
uh, gone in their, in their life's choices. So that concludes the first part of this two-part series this week. You can find a link to the second part in the description below. Know that you're loved. <laughs>